The Midwest Crime Files is a true crime podcast. In it, we discuss heinous crimes and how they're committed. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome to the Midwest Crime Files. I'm your host, Gina. And I'm Chris. And we're here to tell you the stories the of small towns, towns and the heinous, heinous crimes that, that change them, them forever. Chris is in a great mood today. Uh-huh. He's feisty. So I got a story for you. And this week's story hits a little close to All home. All about how my life got twist turned upside down. Now let me take a minute, just sit right there. And I'll tell you how about King yeah, Crown of Bel-Air. You don't own the copyrights to that music. Um, that is an inter- interpretation of that song, so I can sing it however <laughs> I want to. I'm just letting you know that that's how the rules go. Okay. Out of the two of us, I think I know more about <laughs> copyright infringement than you do. Okay. So, back to what I was telling you, if you're ready. Are you ready? Are you ready? Oh, Jesus. Ready for a big ride, baby. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll, I'll mute myself. Oh my God, guys. <laughs> he is in rare form tonight. So, the story we have this week is murder in Fayette County. So, really close to us. And it is the Mike Mann and Deborah Tish story. And, Chris, I think you're going to have a lot of opinions about this because. I at first I thought this was like a very straightforward case, and then when I started researching, I was like, "Oh, interesting." So I'm excited to see your response. Well, we shall see then. Now, is this the one that you are communicating with family? No, no. Okay, no. she's been communicating with a bunch of families, guys, and I like knowing which ones have families and which ones don't. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's families involved, but I could not get a hold of any of them. Right. So. Um, so without further ado, we'll get right into it. Murder in Fayette County, the Mike Mann and Deborah Tish story. It was 3.30 a.m. on August 4th, 2010, when a man in Lugati, Illinois. Do you know where that is? No. It's in Fayette County. But the reason, like, even though it's pretty close to us and we've never heard of it, it's a tiny Fayette County really isn't that close to us, though, is it? Yeah, it's like Vandalia. That's not that far. It's like an hour away. No, it's not. I can get there in like 40 minutes. Because you drive like you have God bite in your, on your side. I do, but it's fine. Um, we can ask the kids about your driving with this weekend. Oh, ma'am. whatever. Shut up. So anyway, it's a very, very small little town. And at 3.30 a.m. on August 4th, a man woke up to his wife screaming. He noticed that there was a person attacking his wife, and he knew this person. He screamed for his teenage neighbor, Clifford Baker, to stop attacking his wife. The 15-year-old then attempted to attack him with a knife, and then he fled into the darkness. The man made a 911 call that changed the lives of Lugati residents forever. That sounds pretty open and shut. Well, I thought so too, but it's not. Is this another corn rake scenario? No, no, not at all. This is not a whodunit, but it's still very interesting. Okay. When police arrived at the scene, they were informed the identity of the perpetrator, which was the 15-year-old. It was only one of two teenagers that lived in the whole town. Holy shit. What's the population of this town? Four? 24. I was close. 24. Yeah. Um, so the police went to the suspect's house, which was like a football field away from where the attack happened. So like right there. Um, so upon approaching the home, officers heard shouting in the garage. And they witnessed 15-year-old Clifford Baker trying to harm himself with a staple gun as his father was trying to disarm him. Now, like when you say staple gun, was this like the ones that we use that are just like clicky-clicky? Yep. Okay. 
I didn't know if it was like a power stapler or something like, you know, I, I don't know, but it's what you think of when you think of a household staple gun, Okay, whether it was powered or manual, I'm not a thousand percent sure, but he was trying to hurt himself with it. And his dad was wrestling it away from him. And his father was able to disarm him, but at that point, Clifford was agitated, he was uncooperative, and police actually had to use the stun gun on him to get him to calm down enough to put him under arrest. Jesus Christ. Right. At the time, they were informed by the boy's father and the neighbors whose home that he had broken into and attacked that their other neighbors, Mike Mann and Deb Tish, should be checked on. So the two that were attacked were both alive. But he, I guess, had made some comments that led both his father and the other house he broke into to think that there would be a problem at the other neighbor's house. Jesus Christ. Police knocked on the door of Mike Mann and Deborah Tish's home, and the knocks went unanswered. They entered the home and found a grisly murder scene. Two guns lay on the kitchen table. On a mattress in the living room were Deborah Tish and Mike Mann. They were partially covered with a sheet. They had both been shot multiple times in the head. They were pronounced dead at 4.30 a.m. on the morning of August 4th, 2010. That's horrible. It really is. It's very disturbing. This whole case is disturbing. It sounds like it. John Michael Mann, who was known as Mike, was born January 31st, 1950 in Fayette County. He was a mechanic and he had previously owned his own repair shop. After he had some heart issues, he was forced into retirement, though. He enjoyed spending time with his family and his life partner, Deborah Tish. They had been together a long time, but, you know, chose not to be married. Mike liked hunting, fishing, and going to the casino. He was the proud father of two sons and a daughter and was a grandfather as well. Deborah Tish was born April 9th, 1957, also in Fayette County. She was a line worker at Brown's Produce in Farina. Do you know where Farina is? I don't. It's another tiny little town in Fayette County. She was a person who loved her family and was always smiling, joking, just enjoyed life and enjoyed the people that she loved. She liked to go fishing and take boat trips. And when she and Mike became partners, she became a stepmother to his children and a step-grandmother to his grandchildren. Clifford Baker our teenage suspect here, was born December 18th, 1994 in Fayette County. When he was three years old, his mother went to prison. And so at that point, he went to live with his grandmother. And he had a very, very close relationship with his grandmother. During school, he was frequently bullied related to having a learning disability. He required some special education classes and let's face it, kids are cruel. Kids are assholes. They really are. They're just not nice. Um, we can say that we have five of them. Yes, and they're all assholes. Love you guys. Um, at age 10, Clifford lost his grandmother. And this was devastating because he's already lost his mother. And then his grandmother died. Yeah. And so he was sent to live with his father in Lugatee. Clifford described his father as an alcoholic. At the age of 10, Clifford himself began to abuse drugs and alcohol to cope with the death of his grandmother. That is just a shitty situation. Like, and it's really shitty because obviously the father wasn't fit enough to take care of him when he was younger, when the mom died. Or chose not to. Or chose not to, you know. Yeah, and there was something so, with that. So they force him to go there now with somebody that probably doesn't want him there. And like I said, this is a tiny town with 24 residents in the whole town. He was one of only two teenagers that lived in the town. By 2010, his father's girlfriend and her son were also living in the home. So it's this tiny little town. You're living with your father, who you didn't go to live with till you were 10. His um, 
fiance, I think, maybe girlfriend. I don't know. I don't think they were married. And her young son, and you're just in this quiet little sleepy town. You're already abusing drugs and alcohol by age 10. I mean, he's had kind of a shit life. Yeah, he has. On July 22nd, 2010, Clifford and his father got into an argument, and the teen, who was 15 at the time, began to drink alcohol. He then broke into his uncle's home and took a 22 caliber rifle. So he got himself drunk, broke into his uncle's, took this rifle. He went home and he continued to just binge on alcohol. Like at this point, at 15, he is probably a full fledged alcoholic. Yeah, that's what it's sounding like. The family's dog started to bark and annoy him. So he shot the dog. You know, when everybody talks about movies, like especially like horror movies, and they're like, oh, I'm fine with like them decapitating 12 people, but don't kill the dog. Right. Like, what the hell? And then, you know, if you guys know a lot about sociopathy, one of the first things that they look for in people that are sociopaths is they harm animals as a child. Yeah, blatant harming of animals. This isn't like going out hunting with dad or anything. This is like torture of small animals. Cruelness. Fearing he would get in trouble, he dumped the dog's corpse near some railroad tracks and went home. Upon returning home, Clifford shot himself in the abdomen with the rifle and then called 911. Damn. Yeah. This is July 22nd. The murders occurred August 4th. Damn. When police arrived, he told the intru- he told them that an intruder shot him. He was taken to a local hospital, and at that time he confessed that, you know, there was no intruder and that he had tried to kill himself. He was transferred to St. Louis for admission into the pediatric psychiatric unit. At the hospital, it was determined that Clifford was suffering from severe depression. And he was prescribed an antidepressant, Cymbalta. Okay. He was discharged from the unit on July 30th after showing what the doctor said was a great improvement in his mental health. He was instructed to continue to take Cymbalta daily. On the afternoon of August 3rd, so this is just four days after he gets out of the hospital, Clifford went with his dad's girlfriend and her son to the pool. Upon returning home, the family ate dinner. About 9 p.m., they watched a movie together, and then they all went to sleep around 11 o'clock. His dad's girlfriend said that she woke up about 2.45 in the morning when Clifford came into their bedroom, and he complained of not feeling well and feeling really hot and uncomfortable. His dad told him, just go lay in front of the air vent in your room. You'll be fine. And they thought that he went back to sleep. However, Clifford did not go back to sleep. Instead, he started drinking. And he also took six of his Cymbalta pills. Yeah, that's that's not a good combo. I mean, and like this is like, I guess me coming from my psych background, like the hotness, like him complaining of like a heat flash that's like classic like a sit like a side effect of a psych like the antipsychotics right you know and but to take alcohol on like on top of any medication you know you're supposed to watch what you're you know right but damn like when you're on an antipsychotic they really hammer it into your head no alcohol well and i think cymbalta is more of antidepressant but regardless it's working with the chemistry in your brain i think yeah i mean i i honestly think cymbalta is one of those ones where it's like an add-on like normally they would start with like like just an ssri an ssri but if that's not helping then they'll jump the cymbalta in there to be like hey you need just an extra little kick in the pants yeah to get it going which and is kind of weird. I don't know that much as far because I've never done pediatrics or, you know, but I know there's a lot of antidepressants that you have to use very, very cautiously. How old was he at the time? 15. Well, and, and there's a lot of antidepressants that they don't recommend for teenagers. Like you have to be very, very cautious um, because they will affect a teenager differently than they will an adult. 
just because of right. brain chemistry. Um, Which is probably why they started with just the Cymbalta then and nothing like no other SSRI or anything like that. And when we say SSRI, it's it's a term, selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor. It's a type of antidepressant. So not only did he take the symbol like an over basically overdose of Cymbalta, and he was drinking, but he also decided he was going to smoke some weed. So he's mixing all of these things together. He decided to leave the house, and he entered the garage of his neighbor, Mike Mann. He took some vodka, and he started to drink it, but he said it was too spicy, so he tossed it behind a bush. So I don't know if it was like a flavored vodka or something. Yeah, or it might have just been like not vodka. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so he tossed the bottle into the bush, and then he went back to his house and smoked some more pot. He then texted a girl he had met on a social media site, and he told her that he, quote, felt weird and thought he might do something bad, end quote. Clifford then returned to the home of Mike and Deborah. He entered the home, and he found a rifle and a military-style gun inside. He started to smoke a cigarette inside the home, and he said when he did that, it set off the smoke detector. Debbie awoke when the smoke detector started to alarm, and she was shocked to see someone in her home. She knew Cliff, though, and she threatened to call 911, and at that point, he said he panicked and shot her in the head. He then shot a startled Mike in the head as well. He shot Mike three more times and Deborah two more times, ensuring that both were dead. He left the two guns on the kitchen table, and he left. Damn. Right? Like, I have mi- so many mixed feelings. But yeah, me too. We can wait till the end. Yeah, and we're, we'll those. wait till the end of that. Clifford then left the home and he entered the house of his other neighbor. When the female in that house awoke and started to scream, Clifford punched her in the face. So when I talk about how he at- was attacking someone, yeah, he punched her in the face. Her husband then awoke and recognized him. Clifford swung a knife towards him, but he didn't actually make any contact. He was very erratic when he's swinging. Right. He then fled back to his home, and the neighbor said that as he was running down the street, he was flapping his arms and making strange noises that he described almost like a Native American chant. Just very bizarre. That We'll talk more about what I think this is. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Um, Just really, really bizarre behavior, though. Um, The neighbor called 911, and once again, as the neighbor's calling 911, Clifford enters his father's bedroom at 3.45 a.m. According to his father's girlfriend, he was speaking gibberish, couldn't even, like, she couldn't even understand the words he was saying. They were not making sense. He was very agitated and was acting very strange. The boy lit a cigarette and started cursing, and apparently these were two things that he would never do in front of his father. Right. You know, this was somebody who didn't dare, and now all of a sudden he's just doing it like it's no big deal. His father asked him, what is wrong with you? To which Clifford replied, quote, I killed them. The whole world is dead, end quote. Wow. Yeah. Clifford then pleaded with his father to follow him next door so he could show him what he had done. His father had to get dressed and was not moving fast enough for Cliff. Once dressed, Clifford's father found him in the garage with a staple gun to his neck. As his father tried to get the staple gun from his son, police arrived. Clifford lost control of the staple gun But he was so agitated and uncooperative that the police had to use the stun gun to subdue him and put him into the cuffs. Clifford was then transported to a local hospital for evaluation. Yeah, I would say, like, and that's where I'm going to jump. Like, he, that's, like, textbook psychotic break. Yeah. Like, if you want to define of, you know, tell somebody or explain to an alien what a psychotic break is, you do that. And that, that, yeah. 
Yeah. That doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like he was there at all. No. During it. No. You know, like, and I know, like, we have had numerous cases on this place where they're like, oh, they tried to plead insanity and everything. Well, this is one of those ones where it needed to be pled insanity because I honestly think that this is somebody that was like so depressed that it just, they had their break. Yeah. You know? Clifford Baker was found in the hospital to have a blood alcohol level of 0.118. So legal limit is 0.08. So he was, you know, significantly above legal limit for alcohol. I mean, not quite alcohol poison level, but pretty pretty damn high. Um, He also tested positive for marijuana, which, you know, he admits to. They found the knife that he pulled on his neighbor in a nearby field. On his person at the time of his arrest was a cell phone, lighter, rolling papers, a bottle of nitroglycerin pills that he took from Mike Mann's house. And he told police he had been drinking. He had taken six Cymbalta pills and he had taken other prescription medication that he didn't know what it was. It was probably the nitro and that he had smoked weed. Well, I mean, the weed count would counteract the headache that you'd get from taking nitro. But good God, like if you're like, I don't know, have you ever had nitro put on you? Like um, actually, or? I had it in an IV infusion because I had a hypertensive crisis. And yeah, it was the worst headache of my life. Like, I, I, like the headaches you get with nitro are, are described as worse than migraines because you got to remember. It, oh, it, yeah, it, it was opens, much worse. It opens up every artery, you know, every blood yeah. vessel in your body. And I'm somebody that gets migraines. And yeah, when I had that nitro drip going, it took away all the palpitations and the chest pain. But I was miserable. My head hurt. God, and him, I like, can't even describe it. Like, it was terrible. God, I couldn't imagine being it like down in some nitro pills and being like, yep, I'm functional. Be like, nope, I'm going to lay down until this, like, my head splits open. Or just go kill someone. Right. Clifford Baker was interviewed by police at approximately 7.18 a.m. on August 4th, 2010. He was drowsy but coherent. Okay, so he was arrested around 4 a.m. and they interviewed him at 7.18. That's not near enough time for the alcohol to get out of your system, the marijuana to get out of your system. Or I'm just saying system. if this was my child, no goes. They would not have interviewed him. Not until he like, was a psychiatric evaluation. There's no way they had time to do a psychiatric evaluation. No. You don't not get a psychiatrist there. In three hours. Right. In Fayette County, which I mean, for those of you who aren't from this area, this is approximately an hour and a half from St. Louis. This is not an area where you have a lot of um, specialty physicians, especially pediatric specialty physicians. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. If I was his parent, I would not have let him be interviewed. Sorry, but I wouldn't have. According to police, he seemed to understand his Miranda rights. The interview, which was videotaped, lasted approximately 48 minutes. Clifford confessed that after arguing with his father, he began to drink. He admitted to breaking into Mike Mann's house and taking vodka and marijuana. He said he texted the girl he met online before returning home. This time, he found a rifle in Mike Mann's kitchen when he went again. He said that he tried to kill himself with it. But that when he tried to kill himself with it, the gun didn't fire. He said he got frustrated and lit a cigarette and he threw it in the garbage can, causing a small fire and the smoke alarms went off. He didn't want to get in trouble, so he said he shot Mike and Debbie. I don't know what to say anymore. I don't either. He also admitted to breaking into the other neighbor's home and attacking them. He was not sure if he had stabbed the neighbor or not, but he was sure that he had punched the neighbor's wife in the face. He tossed the knife in a field after fleeing, which was exactly where police would find it. So he was able to provide like really descriptive details. details. Right. So. 
at that point, I mean, he, he's coherent enough to, and he understands everything enough to be able to tell, like, to recall all that, so. Right. Clifford Baker was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and home invasion on August 5th, one day after the murders. <sighs> I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it, it. like I said, it looks like a pretty cut-and-dry case on the surface. Well, and the prosecutors are saying he was not psychotic because he was able to provide so much detail. That don't mean shit. Well, I kind of... That yeah, don't mean I, shit at all. His attorney believed that he was mentally unfit and that he was insane at the time of his crimes. I'm going to apologize in advance to Mike Mann and Deborah Tish's family. What Cliff Baker did was not okay. Never in a million years was it okay. But I do believe that he was probably mentally unfit. Yeah. Yeah. All apologies aside, he was unfit at like, during his crimes, he was not there. A competency hearing was held and Clifford was found to be competent to stand trial in December of 2010. Although he was only 15 years old at the time of the crime, he was automatically transferred to adult court per Illinois law. I don't know. I mean, I agree with it. I mean, I agree with it. Like, I know, like, it's a teenager that had a psychotic break and everything, but we got to be on the side. Like, we have to look at the side of law on this. He murdered two people. He went, he invaded two homes. He assaulted two other people. Like, this is one of those things where it was shit luck. Like, it was, it's a shitty situation. Like, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it, you know? I just have so many mixed feelings. I do, too, but I have to... Like we have to look on the side of the law on this one. And I hate to say that if these were my parents, I would probably want him locked up forever and throw away the key. Right. If this was my child. I don't know. Like, and I, and I know like we would, we say, Oh, we don't know what we do if it was our kid, but I would kind of have to think I would agree with this, this, I'm sorry. I, I don't know. Like, I, just, I just don't know. Do like, I, I feel like he was just in a psychiatric unit four days before. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, it's not like one of these things where they come later and they're like, oh, he was psychotic and there's no like mental health history. He tried to kill himself two weeks before this crime. Right. But and then, was in so the then, psych hospital. So, so then we need to look at like the competency hearing is what we need to look at then. Like right. what evidence Which they found him competent to stand trial. Right. So I, I just, at this point, know. the, you know, the judge or the jury has spoken and said, Nope, you're competent at this point in time. Well, the psychiatrist or, has, you know, and not a jury, but a psychiatrist. And Illinois, we know has some of the weirdest laws ever, which at this, in this point. Yeah. Like I know you're only 15, but you play like, and I know this is going to sound redundant, but you, you played, Big boy games, you're going to win big boy prizes. Like, and I hate to say that because we, you know, we're both in agreement that he was psychotic at this time. He was having a psychotic break or a psychotic episode at this time. The psychiatrist who outranks us as far as medical knowledge disagreed. I don't know if I necessarily agree with that finding, but I'm not a psychiatrist. So the trial began in August of 2011. The evidence against him included his own confession blood on his clothes that matched the DNA of one of the victims, the testimony of the neighbors and the defendant's own family. The doctor who examined Clifford in July of 2010 and prescribed Cymbalta told the jury that Clifford was diagnosed with depression and that the benefits of Cymbalta outweighed the risks. There is a risk on Cymbalta that it can cause suicidal ideation and homicidal thoughts, especially in children and adolescents. Ooh, is that like a black box warning? Yes. Ooh. See, now this makes it interesting. Like, I, I hate to say that, you know, but now we're coming in the territory of, hmm, we knew that this was a possible side effect of this. Yep. And we prescribed it anyway, which I think he needed something. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong. I believe this. he was... He needed help. So he, 
the doctor said that Clifford had made suicidal ideation um, comments and had those suicidal thoughts while he was hospitalized, but that he showed and voiced no homicidal thoughts. He also said that at the time of discharge, Cliff had greatly improved and posed no risk to himself or others. So he was in the, from the, how long was his psych stay? Two weeks? From the 22nd to the 30th. So eight days. Eight days. That's really not a good, like you can't have we, and this is something you, we know, you can't judge an SSR, like any kind of antidepressant, antipsychotic within six weeks. No. Like it has like, and that's just kind of, I know we've, I think we've said this before in another uh, episode that these kind of drugs take forever to change the chemistry the way it needs to be changed. And yeah, he, at eight days, there's no way in hell. Yeah. No way in hell any of the major side effects would have came into play. Any of the actual like chemical changes in his brain would have they would have been started, but they wouldn't have been right complete near at all. And now you're going into what was it? How what a, a month later? No, it was like two weeks after he started the medicine. So. So, and here's the thing. I remember, because I am not a psych nurse, and I'm going to be the first person to tell you I want nothing to do with psych nursing. I don't like psych. It's just not for me. But I remember going through my psych rotation, and one thing that was, like, beat into my skull was that when you have someone that is severely depressed and you put them on an antidepressant, you have to watch them for the first four to six weeks extremely closely because... As that antidepressant starts to work, one of the things with depression is you don't have any energy. Well, now all of a sudden you have energy and you still have negative thoughts. Now you have the energy to actually act on your suicidal thoughts. Right. And then there's also the caveat with antidepressants that it'll always get worse before it gets better. Like, and that's something that as, as a psych nurse was drilled in my head was that the first four to six weeks are going to be rough all the time. Like it's always. Well, and then he wasn't taking them as prescribed and he was mixing them with drugs that he wasn't supposed to be mixing them with and alcohol. Well, like, and honestly, if it was only marijuana, like I I don't see there being too many sites. Like, no, but alcohol is a depressant. Yeah. I I mean, you're taking a depressant and an antidepressant and then you're taking nitro, which, but he was only, did he only take the nitro? He only took the nitro whenever he was in the man's ho- or Mr. Man's house. I, I guess. I don't know. Like, I he just, doesn't even know what he took. Right. They're assuming it was nitro. Lord knows what he could have taken. Right. But I'm just saying that. I mean, when, but when all, you're taking a cocktail of stuff. Right. And, but I mean, and like the big thing that we need to, that I think we've kind of went off point is, is that these. Like like Gina said at the very beginning, you know, there are warnings about giving teenage minds some of these drugs because there are interactions. And now we know that Cymbalta has a black box warning, which is pretty much the worst warning. Like, it means that it could possibly cause self or others harm. Yeah, it's the most severe warning the FDA can give. And so we're going to talk a little bit more about that. Right. But also a clinical psychologist testified for the prosecution. Now, the psychologist said... That he examined Clifford in October and again in August. He described Clifford as having a conduct disorder. Now, both of these um, times he examined him were after his arrest. He said that he had conduct disorder. He exhibited persistent behavior that violated the rights of others. He described Clifford as evasive, deceptive, and manipulative. He claimed that Clifford used deception to avoid taking responsibility for his actions. And he said that he did not believe Clifford was psychotic at the time of the murders. I don't. Okay. So refresh my memory. What's the difference between a psychologist and a psychiatrist? Which one can prescribe? Psychiatrist can prescribe and diagnose. Psychologist cannot diagnose or prescribe. They are more for like counseling, right? Counseling and, and behavior therapy, those kind of things. I don't agree with that. I just, I don't either. But I mean, obviously they outrank us and probably did a much thorough evaluation than. 
I would like what to, we are able to do, like, but and this is one of those ones where I still I, have doubts. And this is one of those ones where I know we'll never be able to see like court records because it was a juvenile. But I want to see. Well, what, no, because he was tried as an adult. But the, even if he's tried as an adult, even if he's a minor, they don't seal the records. Nope. Really? If you're tried as an adult. You're an adult. Ooh. Well, then I would want to look at the records and see what kind of like mental exams he went through. Well, now his medical information is not public. I know. Because of HIPAA. medical privacy laws. Um, but the testimony of the psychologist is is under the Freedom of Information Act. Clifford's defense never denied that he was the person that killed Mike and Deborah. However, the defense insisted that Clifford was in fact psychotic at the time of his crime. Dr. Marsha Slomowitz, a psychologist, testified that Clifford suffered from depression, suicidal thoughts, and that at some point in his life he had been sexually abused. He was agitated at the time of the crimes and suffered from homicidal night terrors. She said that Clifford suffered from acesthesia, which is characterized by internal restlessness and hypomania. She also explained, along with another expert witness, that Cymbalta carries a black box warning. The black box warning, like Chris said, it's the most severe warning that the FDA can put on a medication. Cymbalta carries the black box warning because it can cause suicidal ideation in people who are under the age of 24 when they first begin taking the medication. Several lawsuits have been filed against Cymbalta related to the side effect, and I'm going to tell you just a few of them. In February of 2004, college student Tracy Johnson committed suicide within weeks of starting Cymbalta. In December of 2004, 16-year-old Peter Schliff committed suicide on Christmas Eve within weeks of starting Cymbalta. In 2005, Eli Lilly, the makers of Cymbalta, agreed to an undisclosed settlement in the death of Tracy Johnson. In 2012, now this was after Clifford's trial and everything, class action lawsuit was filed in California because multiple adolescents and young adults that were prescribed Cymbalta had committed suicide. In 2013, Eli Lilly settled with the family of Peter Schliff. In December of 2013, South Carolina ruled in favor of Eli Lilly in a lawsuit that claimed the company did not properly warn of the side effects. And so South Carolina, they ruled in Eli Lilly's favor and said that they did, in fact, provide um, reasonable amount of warning about the medication. So was it a black box warning when he was prescribed it? Yes. See, like, and that that makes it really interesting to me because you can, like, there's two sides of every coin, right? Like, yeah, we know, like, the manufacturer is like, yeah, yeah, this this is a hundred percent, like, this can possibly happen. So the first like major death with it that hit the news, Tracy Johnson's, was six years before Clifford Baker was prescribed Cymbalta. I don't know. I don't know. At this point, though, I just think. We're a society that is so used to people that take antidepressants. I probably know more people that take them that, than don't. But I think we forget that this is a medication that messes with the chemistry of your brain. Yeah. It's not something that you should just, you know. Willy-nilly. Right. Yep. But And then that that's also goes into the fact that, yeah, the company had put this black box warning on. So they're, you know, they have said that, yes, this is a possibility. Yes. There is a possibility that you could be suicide. Like your suicidal ideation could be increased. There also could be some homicidal ideation, you know? And these were just a few. Yeah. I mean, there were like a list of hundreds of cases. I know. But, and so, then, so then what, at what point do we out like weigh the effect of the drug being on the market anymore? You know, well, and that's that's something I think needs to be looked at, not in this podcast, since we're just true crime, but maybe in another podcast, you know, like what what percentage of Americans com like committing suicide because of medication constitutes. OK, we this that that's too many. Right. Obviously, it's not because the drug's still on the market. 
Right. You know, and this this company is obviously making bank if they're just going to keep like, oh, yeah, we're sorry for your loss. Here's some money. We're sorry for your loss. Here's some money. Well, and without getting too much into big pharma, because we could go on and on about that. But, you know, as well as I do, that there definitely are politicians who protect big pharma in exchange for campaign donations. I know. I Yeah. But maybe mean you'll get into that. On a, on a different time. Yeah, but anyway. So according to the defense for Clifford Baker, he was taking the medication for only 12 days prior to the crime. He had also taken more than prescribed and combined the medication with alcohol and drugs. And that is a big deal. I mean, that's a, that's a huge yeah. deal. And a lot of people could say, well, you know, he shouldn't have taken more than he was prescribed. But just for a second, and I'm not trying to make excuses, I'm really not, but at 15 years old, especially if you've been through some of the things that he had been through, I, I don't know if you can really fully wrap your head around that. You're given a medication because you're told it'll make you feel better. Yeah, so let's like let's break it down dummy style. You're like you said, you're a 15 year old kid. You go to the hospital, they're like, hey, here's this magic pill that you take you know once or twice a day you keep taking it steadily it'll make you feel better you're 15 i guarantee i I doubt his dad was anywhere near this you know what i'm saying like i don't think his dad was helping him with a pill planner being like hey take your medicine and then you're just like and i could see where the rationale of him taking a bunch because i was told that this is supposed to make me feel better so if i take more of it it's going to make me feel better quicker. Right. You know, like you got to like, and like we said, we're not justifying any of this, but this is like, we're trying to get into the mindset of a 15 year old that is head that's went through hell already and just wants to feel good. Exactly. You know, and that's what people like need to see is that like, this is this kid was just wanting to feel good. Like, and it's not like feel good. Like, Oh, I want to get high. No, he wanted to feel normal. Yeah. The defense claimed that these factors, along with his underlying mental health issues, caused him to be psychotic at the time of the crime. The defense claimed that the neighbors' accounts of him shouting and flapping his arms and his family's testimony about him acting strange and agitated and gibbering nonsense, that that all supported it. And I would agree. I would agree, too. I would agree. In August of 2011, Clifford Baker was found guilty on two counts of first-degree murder and one count of home invasion. His sentencing hearing began in October of 2011. The defense presented mitigating factors that included his unstable childhood, a mother who was incarcerated, an alcoholic father, the loss of his grandmother at a young age, his need for special education, persistent bullying from peers, and the side effects of Cymbalta. He was sentenced to two counts of life in prison with no possibility of parole, plus 30 years for the home invasion. Did they ever state, like, what his mom went to prison for? I couldn't find it. Or if, like, any past medical history for the mom and dad? Like, if this was, like, if psychosis was something that ran in the family? I I couldn't find anything to support or negate that. So that's a big question mark in this case. Later on, though, in 2011, the United States Supreme Court ruled that juveniles could not receive automatic life sentences. We've talked about that several times. Yep. The state of Illinois had to reevaluate all the cases in which juveniles were sentenced to automatic life sentences. Illinois lawmakers also pushed to change the law that automatically charged juveniles 15 years and older as adults. So they're saying like, you shouldn't just be 15. Like it shouldn't be that just because you're 15 or older, you're automatically tried as an adult. It should be done on a case by case basis or maybe 16 and older. And they actually were successful at getting that to 16 and older. But, um, unfortunately the court did not overturn Clifford Baker's sentencing. And I am sorry to, the family of the victims, because I understand why you would not want them to give him a possibility of parole. I truly, truly do. But if I'm going to look at this objectively, I think this was a kid that needed help. 
And I don't think right. that all hope is lost for him. Right. And like, what are you going to do? You're putting him into a gen pop prison for life now. Like when he needs to be in, like, I still think he needs to be in a max security something, but maybe a max security psych facility, you know, so he can get the help he needs. Like, and that's a oh, God damn. I don't know how many times we have to like drill it into these stories that the mental health issue in America sucks, right? Like, has sucked for the past 20 years. That's why everybody's on freaking antidepressants because nobody knows how to feel good anymore. It, you know, but like he's not he's not going to get the help he needs. Not in a, not in a Gen Pop Max security cell uh, prison. No. Yeah, I mean, yeah, they'll like he'll see doctor visits once a year or whatever. They'll keep prescribing him the same stupid shit over and over again. But he's not he's not going to have any hope anymore. No. In April of 2017, he did get a hearing for a resentence. He was resentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole until February 4th, 2094. At that time, when he first becomes eligible for parole, he'll be 99 years old. So, thanks. Thanks for playing. You're just going to die in jail again. Family of the victims expressed their relief after this hearing and said, quote, no other family has to go through the nightmare we have endured, end quote. And I get it. I do. I know. I understand why they feel the way they do, yeah. but I can't help but have a teeny bit of empathy for him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like, and like, this is the whole playing, you know, Occam's razor, or, you know, like, but, you know, we're playing both sides of the coin. Yeah. Like, what he did was shitty. He did a shitty thing. He killed two people. He invade, you know, home invasions and assaulted two people. He should be punished. But he was 15 at the time and psychotic. Like, I know that all these psychologists and everything are saying that he wasn't. And I know that I am not, I am not clinically trained or anything like that. But what more do you need to be like, what, what would classify as, as, being mentally unfit. I mean, like you said, he tried committing suicide, tried committing suicide just a couple of, like weeks before. Right. I mean, this wasn't something that just came up after the crime because we see that a lot where they're like, "Oh, I was insane," or you know, "Oh, I have mental health issues," and blah blah blah. He had documented mental health issues days. I mean, he yeah. was out of the hospital for four days. Right, and then he's on a medication that's. At this point, known to do this to kid, like to people under twenty four, right? And I just, yet, and I yet have you to still... have some empathy for him. I really do, and I think that, and and I'm not trying to place blame on anybody, but I also think that as a parent, where was his protection? Because I'm going to tell you guys right now, nowhere. I don't found. condone what he did, never in a million years. But what I will tell you is that if I had a mentally ill fifteen year old who committed a violent crime, but I truly believe was psychotic at the time because of the way he was behaving and the family described him as psychotic and behaving erratically. You're not going to talk to my kid until he's been through a psych eval and isn't been in the hospital for a while. Right. And been told that, yes, he is competent at this point in time to be questioned. Like, I no, you're not going to talk to my kid. And I feel like he was let down in a lot of ways. Yeah, he was, you know, and what he did was terrible, and I don't wish that on anybody, and he does need to take responsibility for that. I'm just not so sure that the justice system got this one completely right. I don't think he should have been let off. I just don't know if I think he should be in there for life. Right. And um, so afterwards, too, the family described Mike and Debbie a little bit. And so because there wasn't a ton of information about the victims, I did want to share this quote. Quote, Deb and Mike were the most loving, outgoing people you could ever meet. They would give you the shirts off their backs if they thought you needed them more than they did. End quote. This whole story is so sad to me. Like, I am sad for Mike's family and Debbie's family, and I'm sad for Clifford and his family. Um, it, this kid was just a throwaway, I feel like. That's what it sounds like. And just nobody cared. 
Clifford Baker is currently incarcerated at Pinckneyville Correctional Center in Southern Illinois. Since being incarcerated, he's received his GED. He's attended substance abuse classes and behavioral therapy since the beginning of his incarceration. Well, at least maybe he's getting some help. And anything like, and I don't mean help for him, like, to become part of society. You know, I'm come. I'm maybe thinking, he can do something positive with his life, even if he has to spend it or, in prison. Or he, so he maybe he can just feel good about himself. You know, and get past, like, not feel good about himself, but you know, get past the demons that caused all this. Well, find something to be meaningful, even if he has to live the rest of his life in prison. Let's find something to be meaningful, and there are people that find meaning in prison. I mean, I can't imagine knowing that you're going to spend the rest of your life in prison from the time you're 15 years old. But if that's going to be your life, then you got to make the best out of it. And yeah. it sounds like that's what he's trying to do. Because, I mean, he could have easily just, you know, tried again to hurt himself and lost all yeah. hope. But it sounds like he's really tried to kind of turn things around. I don't know if he will ever get paroled. I don't know if he ever should get paroled. Because I'm not saying he's a great person. I'm not saying that at all. You know, we talked in the beginning about killing animals and how that's a sign of sociopathy. Maybe he is a sociopath. I I don't know. But I don't like this case much. There's too many question marks for me. Yeah, there is. Just don't know how I feel about it. As a mother, it's scary to me. It's very scary to me. So... But that is murder in Fayette County, and I thought that one would throw you for a loop. Was I right? You were 100% right on that. And guys, next week, we do have a story that I was in contact with the victim's family quite a bit. So make sure you tune in for that. And um, later on this month, we will have another um, Patreon exclusive episode for you guys. And we will also have an episode coming up about a serial killer in Michigan. So if we, you need, guys, to, what? we, need, we need to have another Facebook live event. Yes, we do. Maybe we'll do that. Um, I don't know. One of these weekends that we don't have anything going on. Huh. It seems like. So the, like next year. Right. <laughs> Um, if you guys want to see the stories, um, we do the blog post every single week, too, for those that don't listen to podcasts. But you can go to the blog post and you can also see all the references. And I have pictures for every single case. Some I have more than others, but there's always pictures. Um, so you can see what Clifford looked like when he was arrested, what he looks like now, and pictures of our victims who I will say look like very lovely people. Um, and. We have one new Patreon supporter, and we still are hoping to get two more by the end of July. So if you would like to be a Patreon supporter, you can do so just by following the link in the show notes or by going to our website, www.themidwestcrimefiles.com. And make sure you also like and follow us on Facebook. And we have some special gear going out to our Patreon soon and some special coupon codes for our store for our Patreon. So yep. and I think be on the lookout for that. Yep. And I think I'm going to design another shirt. Um, we had one of the, one of the uh, listeners put uh, play, stu play stupid games, win stupid prizes. <laughs> I should put that on a shirt. So I'm going to design a shirt with that kind of phrase on there. So just be looking for that in the store too. But I, besides that, I think we're, I think that's it. Yeah. So we will see you guys next week. Have a good week.